Good evening. I'm your host, Davis, and I would like to welcome you to the intersection where all the greatest achievements of mankind have originated, the intersection of thoughts and actions. Everything you see started as a mere idea, an idle thought that grew. It grew because of the actions taken to build on it. Tonight, our special guest is Joey, and we would like to like for you to join us as we stand at the crossroads of inspiration and take you on that journey with us. So welcome, Joey. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, it's a pleasure to be here um, at this crossroads. My name is Joey. I am one half of the movie podcast, Affable Chat. Uh, we review movies weekly. We talk about all the themes and uh, ideas that go into them and why we like them, what, maybe what works, what doesn't work. Uh, we have a lot of fun. So um, if you're looking for any sort of movie analysis out there, we talk about everything under the sun, Marvel, uh, movies, DC movies, uh, new releases. Um, we did Citizen Kane this year, so we're uh, we're all over the place. So um, yeah, it's I love stories. I love talking about stories, um, and I like writing my own stories. So that's that's why I'm here. Well, yeah, that that's the thing that I find so fascinating on all this stuff is the stories that people create, and how a lot like when you're creating your own story from scratch you don't have a message or anything that gets in the way of the actual story that you're trying to create. Right. And I find that so fascinating. I find it amazing what people can create. And so we're going to go ahead and do the prompt execution at dusk. Spooky. Oh yeah. (laughs) And I'm I'm Ominous. looking forward to see what you have created for this dark and brutal prompt. Uh, yes, I, I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, are you ready? Whenever you're ready, we can uh, listen in. Okay, I call this uh, presidential address. Mm. Ranger Grayson looked out over the crowd, his crowd. They were all watching him with hopeful, eager eyes. This was his last speech as President of the United States, and he had to deliver. Despite this, he couldn't help but raise his gaze over their heads to the sky. It was erupting with color as the sun was setting. Ranger knew he should get on with his speech, but he wanted to savor this moment one last time. My fellow Americans, it has been my honor to be your leader over the last eight years. It has been a difficult position, but it was your hope, your strength, and your unwavering loyalty that has gotten me through this and allowed me to be the most successful president in recent history. When I was a child, things were very different. People were different. This country was different, but you cannot be successful by living in the past. You must always look toward the future and what is coming next. As Ranger contrib- as As Ranger continued his speech, he let his mind wander. How many times had he read his own words from a teleprompter? He couldn't even guess. His long career in politics had culminated in this moment. He could indulge his memory a little, couldn't he? Ranger cast his mind back to his early childhood. At that time, time, breakthroughs in human anatomy brought the promise of longer lifespans. People began seriously considering the possibility of living 300 or even 1,000 years. The culture exploded with movies and novels about human potential expanding past our limits, far into the unknown. Ranger remembered his parents during this hopeful time. They were excited and young, but nothing lasts forever. It turns out that altering telomeres in ourselves extended life less than a plant-based diet and regular exercise, which meant no one would be living for centuries. 
but other things stuck, like our attitude toward death. When he was a child, Ranger fell behind his father's boat, and his legs were cut by the propeller. He recovered with only scarring, but that fear of his life suddenly ending stayed in his mind for years, until it was chased away by something else. Ranger paused. He had stumbled over the last sentence in his speech. The voice of Molly, his chief of staff, was in his ear. Ranger, what's the matter? Read the damn prompter. Ranger slowly and carefully shook his head and turned to look at Molly, who was just off stage. He flashed one of his world-famous smiles to reassure her, then turned back to the prompter. Yes, it's true. My father and mother always dreamed I would go on to do great things. He, he looked skyward. I am looking forward to seeing you both again. There was a hush in the crowd as everyone murmured at that. Ranger smiled. Silently, he thought, you got to give the people what they want. Those were the words of his mentor, friend, and previous president, Pella Hernandez. Pella was Ranger's senior senator when Ranger was first elected. He was always smiling and had an extremely quick wit. To an outsider, Pella was an old-school politician. He cared about due process and carefully reviewing the law. But Ranger knew better. To him, Pella was a pioneer. He was, after all, a staunch he was, after all, a staunch supporter of Reaper's rule. Ranger controlled his face to keep from grinning. If only Pella could see him now, he would have been so proud. He thought back to Pella's last presidential speech as he recited the next section of his. President Hernandez, of whom I have been graciously compared, once said, quote, This is a new era of politics, a new era of accountability but you must move forward without me and carry my legacy into the future, unquote. Those words rang in my ears throughout my term in office. I strove to be the embodiment of this new era, and I intend to see this through to the end. <coughs> Suddenly, applause from the crowd. Ranger was pleased. He loved giving speeches. They brought him life. As he continued to read from the prompter, he reflected that it was appropriate, that little irony. This whole ceremony was built on what some pundits called the greatest karmic justice in history. Ranger was not yet in Congress when Senator John Reaper, sorry, Se Ranger was not yet in Congress when Senator Jolly Reaper went on an epic filibuster and accidentally proposed legislation that would change the shape of the country forever. While opposing a bill to oppose a national holiday for firefighters, Reaper stood in front of Congress and waxed poetic about every frustration he had had with colleagues, in, with every frustration he had had with his colleagues in politics. It started small with an intern that had brought him the wrong flavor of CBD candy, but culminated with a direct attack against sitting President Peach Lavister when he called for a bill to be written that would allow the Senate to execute her at the end of her term. At first, it was taken as a joke. Reaper, of course, said he wasn't serious, but the country was still hoping for a new lease on life, and a corollary to that mindset was the idea of the honorable death. The logic went like this. Everyone dies, but few get to decide how they die. Isn't that a missed opportunity? Why can't death be like art, where death as a purposeful act is a powerful statement by the artist? This idea took hold. And when Jolly Reaper was elected president 10 years later, it just so happened his rival party took Congress. The law, which became known as Reaper's Rule, said that at the end of their term, the Senate could vote to hold an execution for the president. It only took a simple majority for the death sentence to pass. Since enacted, every president, starting with Reaper, has been ceremonially executed in front of the entire country.
Ranger stuck out his chin as he read the next part of his speech, fighting back any emotion that wasn't calm and stoic. Can a man live with a sword over his head? I assert he cannot. Everything I wanted to accomplish had a hard deadline, and that gave me focus and determination. Sure, I had to make hard choices, but today I atone for those choices. This is my right. This is my honor, to die for the country I believe in. As more applause rang out, Reaper thought back to when he announced his campaign. His wife had been devastated, and his kids still didn't understand. But they had stuck by him as if he were a dying man, indulging him. His wife, he knew, already had her second husband lined up, as was the tradition with first ladies and first gentlemen. In the wake of Reaper's rule, pundits proclaimed no one would run for president. But of course, this was ludicrous. If anything, the position became more popular and sought by the most ambitious and narcissistic the country had to offer. Everyone thought they could beat the vote, but no one ever did. This was partly because presidential executions were some of the most popular events in history, viewed by billions around the world. It had become expected. Ranger was one of the few that had accepted early on that he would not leave office alive. His stoicism and determination were traits poll takers found favorable. Just as my dear friend President Hernandez before me, I welcome the end. I am going quietly and with my dignity intact. Good night, America. I love each and every one of you. Good night. President Ranger Grayson stepped back from the podium as the crowd exploded with noise. He waved and saluted. Then he smiled. He had done it. One last speech. And now for the easy part. The stage was quickly rearranged around him. Every person had a well-rehearsed part to play. The presidential march projected proudly from speakers. This was an execution, but it was also an event. Pomp, circumstance, and hype were all part of the experience, and people had paid good money to be here. They deserved a show. A man with gloves and a blue surgical mask approached Ranger with a needle. This was the paralytic, meant to keep him still during the actual act. Ranger waved the man off. No, I can handle this. The man stood awkwardly and looked to Molly, who was just off stage. She was immediately in his ear. Ranger, take the damn shot. You will regret it. He looked at her and dug the radio from his ear. He smiled. I've got this, Molly. Her face was pure fury. She hated it when he went off script. She gestured forcefully to the man of the mask to exit the stage. What a colossal idiot. He smiled as his two most trusted Secret Service guards, Kilmer and Harold, approached from behind and gently guided him to a kneeling position. Ranger had elected for a dramatic death. A large block of metal was smoothly moved in front of him. His guards lowered his body so his head rested on the block. It was cold against Ranger's cheek. He shifted to get more comfortable, but his handlers didn't let him move an inch. He tried to relax, take a deep breath, but then he saw him. A pale man, dressed in an onyx suit with midnight-colored cowboy boots, a pitch-black shirt, and a shiny obsidian tie walked into view. He was young, mid-twenties at most, and sporting an ivory-white grin wider than any ranger had ever seen. In his hands, he held a massive, gleaming axe. It was double-sided, it was so sharp, it was hard to look at. Ranger again tried to squirm, but he was held perfectly still. As the young man approached, silence fell. The crowd had been instructed to stay quiet during this part of the ceremony. All Ranger could hear was the slow plodding of the boots approaching, one step at a time. Ranger's body reacted before his mind did. He pushed with all his might and was able to shift slightly, but Kilmer and Harold were professionals. They quickly gripped and pushed Ranger back into position. He tried to remind himself that the world was watching, but his thoughts were already racing. Was this really happening? Was this really, 
was he really ready to die? Ranger realized that all of those late nights imagining this moment, all of the planning meetings, all interviews he had ever done, none of them had prepared him for death itself. The man with the axe was in position now, and as he raised it, Ranger began to sob and wail. No, 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 please, please, I don't want to die. Why is this happening? Please, I'll give you anything. I'll do anything. Just please stop. But it was too late. The axe fell, and Ranger was no longer president. The crowd cheered and cried, and everyone went home to discuss what they had just witnessed. After the stage had been cleared of blood in Ranger's body, Molly approached the two Secret Service agents. Great job out there, guys. I knew he was going to be trouble. Kilmer, the bigger of the two, spoke first. It's a shame he tarnished his legacy with all that crying. He deserved better. Molly shook her head. He was a son of a bitch. A real ass- a real asshole. That's why he became president. And that's why we always insist on using the paralytic. Something about death's eminence that people like that just can't accept. Harold, the other guard, nodded his head. I think he always thought it wouldn't happen to him. Molly laughed. You're right about that. But if, <laughs> But if it should happen to anyone... It's people like him. They all stood awkwardly for a moment. Harold spoke again. Well, what's next for you, Molly? Molly smiled. Well, there's always the next one, right? They all laughed and headed to the nearest bar to celebrate another successful event. The end. Very interesting. <laughs> I I really like, I, like, I saw where it was going about the part where he thought about death yeah. like the first time. But I really like the way that you actually had it grow over the course of the uh, story and just really good. Kind of what came, what had you come up with that idea? Uh, It's hard for me to remember. I feel like I listen to a lot of political podcasts um, and I think one of them may have mentioned something about how all of our presidents have so much blood in their hands. So many, like such huge body counts, right. And Mm -hmm. how they'll never atone for, any of that, right? They can just, you can just be president and part of being president is that you get to kill people um, or that people die under your watch. You know, I think about like, I mean, I don't want to get too specific or anything, but just the one example that comes to mind immediately is uh, President Trump when uh, he didn't react as quickly as he could have on COVID, right? And it's estimated he could have saved tens of thousands of lives if he'd acted one week sooner. Um, it's incredible, right? I mean, I procrastinate stuff in my job all the time, you know, and for someone to be in that sort of position and then make that decision and then for so many people's lives to be ended, uh, you know, makes it makes you the most powerful person in the world and yet you can just walk away. There's that. And then you also have other politicians as well, like uh, the people in power that make choices that they don't want the responsibility. Take- exactly. Take the lockdown itself. So you had the two-week lockdown, and then it was supposed to stop. But no one wanted to stop it because then they would have to take responsibility for people that would die. And so we went from two weeks to two years. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. No, it's exactly like that. You know, these people have a lot of power, and yet it doesn't seem to matter, right? Uh, you know, it, that, that's kind of like, that's kind of the, the, the thing that really grabbed me. And so then I was thinking, you know, what if, what if you were to actually make people like hold people accountable to that? And mm-hmm. I think that adds in an extra element of like, would that actually change anything? And, um, like, would it ever even stop anyone? Because I think most people I talk to say you have to be insane to run for president. Um, but you know, oh, yeah. I think that, 
um, that insanity uh, doesn't even extend to just like your own mortality, right? Like you have to have something within you that believes you can beat the odds, um, uh, even if it's not true. Oh, yeah. I I agree with you 100% on the fact that it's like a lot of politicians, especially the ones that are in really high positions, they're very much thinking that they can do whatever they want. That's why you see a, the vast majority of them with the idea of rules for me or rules for thee, but not for me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. see it on all sides. Every politician tends to have that corruption from power. Some of it is some of, for some of them, it's minor things where it's like, just, I get this advantage because I've got this power. Other people, it's really kind of brutal, like, haha, I can do this and you can't do anything about it type thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I was trying to tie in just how disconnected, like, I feel from the people that, like, run this country, too, with the mm -hmm. idea that they could just kill one of their colleagues, right? And that would just be part of the job. You know, I think that... um uh, there, you know, there's a certain disregard for like indivi an individual's life that um, that I feel is, uh, you know, maybe exaggerated in this story, but um, it's certainly a way that I feel about the way I've connected to uh, the people that you know are supposed to represent me. That so, that's that, true that, as well. That, yeah, and again, one of the other things with being a leader, as far as like, especially. Uh, political leader, like a uh, leader of a country and stuff. They tend to think of people as pawns on a board because they're trying to look at the long term and not look at necessarily the individual. But that also desensitizes them to what's actually going on at the lower levels. Yeah. And of course, them believing that they are smarter than the other people. And so they think, oh, well, I'm smarter than them, so I can just do what I want because what I want is the best. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's exactly like that. And, and then power corrupts. It's so, it's so obvious. You get, in, you, get in, you get somebody, the wrong person, in like just a little bit of power, and it goes straight to their head, right? They start mm -hmm. seeing everyone beneath them as, as lesser than. It's just, a, it's just how, how humans are. Um, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, and I was. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I can also say as well. It's like one of the things that, like, the founding fathers said and wanted for this country was they wanted people that did not want the job in the place to do it because those are the people that will do the job and then be like, "I'm done. I didn't want to do it in the first place. I'm done. Get me out of here." Yeah. Cincinnatus. You know a story about Cincinnatus? Sounds uh, familiar, but I'm not sure. He was a Roman emperor. Uh, he was like a farmer. Yeah, and, I remember uh, that now. Th there, were some, there were some, I don't know the specifics, but he, there was some war and they were like, Cincinnati, you're the only guy who can do this. Come over here and, and, and become the dictator uh, for, while we're dealing with this, with this crisis. And then he was like, all right, whatever. So then he comes in here, solves the problem. It's it, like everyone's very happy with him. And, he, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to. I'm gonna go back to my farm now. <laughs> I'm done with this. <laughs> I never wanted to do this. Uh, I just had. I just felt like it was my civic duty. So 
Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. that's not really the attitude we see with our own politicians. Uh, as oh, as no. uh, as as uh, ideal as that that situation would be. So uh, maybe and, this is the uh, maybe this is the other side of that, right? Maybe this is the other side of Cincinnati. Is uh, what what do we do with these people that think they deserve it? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I absolutely loved your story and kind of the path you did on it. The descriptions, the way that the character actually felt alive was really good. And kind of the him realizing at the end, oh, wait, I don't want this, just really th- uh, brought it home. Well, I appreciate that. that. That was exactly what I was intending. So I, I hope I hope it sticks with you. Oh, I, it will. And I'm sure it'll <laughs> stick with everybody that listens to it. Mine, I just used the uh, actual prompt as my name, Execution at Dusk. There you go. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. It wasn't that long ago that the whimpers of the dying were silenced. Lord Tannis, the more, the man, a man said after bending over to catch his breath, a battered armored man with dark hair just starting to be seasoned turned to face the messenger, his attention shifting from his aides. I am he... The general has issued in the order that all of the army is to be brought before the slopes of Drenar tonight at dusk. The messenger turned and dashed off, heading towards another one of the battle leaders. Lord Tannis took one more look over the field of slaughter. They wouldn't have the bodies buried. There wasn't time. Dusk was a short time away. They would need to leave the field soon to make sure make it there in time. Form up, he bellowed. His aides followed him as he moved towards his mount. Jaunts, moving out like this will hinder the retrieval of usable armor, weapons, and arrows. If there is time, we need to return and scavenge what we can. Understood, sir. Could we leave some men to scavenge while we see what the general wants? One of the gangly aides asked, marking down some notes on a clipboard. The general doesn't make these assemblies often, but he has in the past punished any who were not in attendance, including the scout. I will not leave one of my men to be punished for this. Understood, sir, Jaunt said, slipping out from the crowd around Lord Tannis. J- Tannis's army grumbled to life and began their march. The sun slunk behind the clouds, let loose the heavenly blood streaked, streaked across the increasingly bruised skies. As the army arrived at the foot of the slope, at the top of the hill, outside where the Drenar fortress stood, torches lighting up the wall. The general stood outside the wall at the top of the slopes in armor still gleaming in the dying light. Next to the powerful figure knelt a smaller man, obscured by the growing darkness, his arms behind his back and his head bowed on a wooden pole. The general raised his arm into the air. Various sounds from each of the gathered armies quieted to an almost deafening silence. Lord Tannis watched like everyone else. Though rare, these assemblies were always something monumental. He brought his hand up to the side of his helmet and paused a moment. There was something. The general's voice echoed out. One battle of our war is over. We have not won. This transition from day to night will be marked by an execution. The flickering fires above made the shadows dance to Lord Tannis's sight. One of those tendrils seemed to snake behind the general. It wasn't moving in the firelight. Your execution, the general roared out as the man cloaked in shadows stood up, 
along with the other shadow figure, shadowy figures upon the fortress. Then flaming arrows started raining down upon the armies. This would be bloody, no matter what the strategy taken now. Lord Tannis dug his spurs into his mount's side. Charge! Holding the reins, he unsheathed his blade. This betrayal would not be allowed to stand. His army surged forward up the slopes. Death pelting from above struck the rear of rear lines of his men. The screams of agony, another note in the symphony of death. Lord Tannis focused on the figure next to the general. The wooden pole that had supported his head while kneeling was now held in his hands, a staff far shorter than any Tannis had seen or used before. From the top of the staff, dark tendrils extended behind the man he had sworn to follow, the man he was now obligated to kill. Everything blurred as he approached the summit of the slopes. The general stood tall, looking over the slaughter, his eyes glazed. The corruptor fleeing through the fortress gates. As the lord thrust the blade forward, it reverberated with the battle. Blazed eyes widened, the dark tendril being drawn back to the corruptor's staff. The face of his leader contorted in confusion, set settled as his shoulders slumped and the blade pierced through the bone. The momentum tore the weapon from Tannis's hand. Not wasting another moment on the dead leader of the kingdom, he guided his warhorse to the door, to the doors just as they had slammed shut. His mount reared back and crashed its armor's hooves into the door. It's uh, slamming it open. The sound of bodies hitting the ground added to the cacophony of war. The inside of the fortress was a mess, the dead and dying standing before him, dark tendrils snaking into everyone. Drawing his spare blade, he urged his mount to charge forward, every swipe done to keep the puppets at bay while he charged towards the tower that the dark strings were originating from. Time was short, and the doorway was too small for his horse. As he approached, he turned the gelding, and swinging one leg up and over, he launched himself off the horse, twisting. He stumbled, and pain lanced out from his knee, pushing up with the momentum of his shoulder slammed into the door. It buckled, but didn't yield to his first strike. He leaned back before ramming into the door again. This time, the wood didn't just rattle in its frame, it swung, but it swung wide open on broken hinges. The figure holding the short wooden staff turned to face Lord Tannis. Sunken, desiccated eyes took him in. The figure lifted the staff up, parrying the blow of Lord Tannis's blade. The skeletal arm didn't quake or, qua or waver against the blow. The short staff tilted, and the blade trailed sparks as it slid free of the wood, the staff glowing black as it touched the sword hand. The lord did not waste his momentum and let his shoulder tilt down and slam into the figure. The unexpected strike stole its balance, and it stumbled back and landed prone. The light from the doorway shone in on the pale dead flesh of this lich. It smiled up at Tannis. The damage has already been done. And so are you, Tannis said, sheathing his blade in, sheathing his blade into the undead creature's neck, his hand darkening as he lost feeling in it. Jerking his arm back, his unresponsive hand didn't let go, but his skin did. Still no pain as he pulled his blackening stump from the blade. With his offhand, he reached out and drew his sword back out of the figure and dropped to his knees. 
pain radiated out, even as he laid his stump out before him and took aim, bringing the blade down upon his still pink flesh about halfway up his forearm. A scream tore from his mouth as he severed the rot from his flesh. He needed to seal the wound. A torch burned on the wall and his vision throbbed with darkness. With the last of his adrenaline, he pushed himself up. The blood pumping out of his arm seemed to spray further as he moved. He felt himself cooking as he stabbed his arm into the open fire. Then everything went black. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so intense. Uh, yeah. Um, so, did, I mean, did, did he get him? I mean, like, I... He, 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 he killed the lich, yes. He, I, I assume he, he got him with that with that final blow. I mean, yeah. ultimate sacrifice. Jesus. <laughs> Um, uh, he he did survive though because he basically right. uh, cauterized his cauterized oh, no, I his arm. Got that? Oh, <laughs> that was intense. <laughs> well, like I mean, to to go all the way and then lose your arm and just be like, okay, I'm gonna, this is what I have to do, and then be like, all right, now I got to chop off the extra bit and then stick it in the fire. Uh, no, <laughs> there's no way I could do that. Oh, Me my either. <laughs> That was cool. Um, I love the uh, like the the setting of this. Like this is like medieval kind of like fantasy realm, right? Yeah. Um, and just the um, uh, just like the scale of like uh, uh, like all these all these different large groups of people to gather together under their single banner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's neat. And then, right? And then, uh, gosh, I, okay. I I, I don't want to like pick too much, but like. What is what was his plan? Just to fire arrows? He's like got all these armies together. And he's like, all right, we're just gonna shoot you all down. Like, I mean, he's gotta know that something's like this is gonna happen, right? <laughs> yeah. So basically, the general was enthralled by the lich. Yes. Yes. And the lich was basically going to decimate their armies, and that was the whole thing of it. It's an execution right. of these armies at dusk. Right. And. There were so many ways I was going to take it, but as I wrote the story, it just, it shifted because originally I was going to have the, the general being the traitor Mm -hmm. and the, or not being the traitor, but the person that he was going to execute was Lord Tannis's relative of some kind or someone that Lord Tannis really cared about. But I'm like, no, that. How, how would that work? And then the whole thing of like Lord uh, of the general being controlled and then how if anyone is controlled, they can't be trusted ever again viewpoint to where they just kill them. And that was the whole like realization as the blade struck home and everything. And- oh, man. No, I mean, imagine I mean, I'm judging like the the snare, like what was happening before this, right? They're receiving messages from the general, right? He's yeah. saying, go here, do this or whatever, right? How long has he, be, he, he been uh, lichified? How long has he been under the control of the lich? You know, yeah. like, how long is this, is this farce been going on? Ah, gosh. It's so interesting that both of our stories deal with like corruption of power. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that actually started this whole story was while I was thinking execution at dusk, I came up with that intro line and it's like, 
I, I have to see where this intro goes, where yeah. it's uh, the whole thing of it wasn't long ago that the whimpers of the dying were silenced. It's like that is such a powerful start. And I found that you have to have something powerful like that as a hook. I agree. Uh, yes. I'm I'm not sure if you do role playing games at all or anything. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> any good campaign adventure, you start with the hook and then you go from there. And that right there was just again, such a powerful hook. And then how do I incorporate that into this thing? Same thing with uh uh with the start of one of my previous stories. Uh, on the season one, episode 12, I believe, uh, The Floor is Lava, the, the start of my story was it all started with a child's wish, a goddamn <laughs> child's wish. And that was so good. I'm like, that's, that's good enough to be a prompt. Yeah, yeah, yes. No, it's very good. No, I, I, no that's, you're, you're 100% right. You have, especially with stories like this, right? You really have to hook someone with the first couple of lines, right? I mm-hmm. uh, really have to, you know, get it in there quick, and uh, because then, 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 then you're hooked. But it's also so wonderful when you have something like that because, and like, it just kind of starts to carry itself, right? You're like, okay, how I need to get from point A to point B, but like, how do I do that? And like, I have these characters, like, but how would they react in this situation? And it just sort of like guides you through it. And once you have that kind of establishment, it's so nice just being able to like, okay, just like ride the story, you know, like allow yes. it to, to move forward and just kind of go to his logical conclusion. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite things about writing. Um, no, I, I, I've, I've, your story was so intense. I was, I was really, I don't know if you can see my expression. I was, I was watching myself just be like, like, what is, what's happening here? My eyebrows are going up. My, I was narrowing my eyes being like, Oh my God, what is it? I was going to get out of this one. No, oh, no, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, no, I had oh, the, man. uh, I had my document blocking the screen because I was yeah, yeah. focusing on that. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, that's totally fine. But yeah, um, no. I didn't want to distract you. So, um. no. <laughs> and, and the other part of this thing is actually getting a satisfying ending that actually, like, you're making the promise at the beginning of the story. That's what the yes. hook is. It's a promise. And then you have to deliver in the story that on that promise. And I, I feel I did a decent job of delivering on that promise. Definitely. Well, you, still... you, you introduced the problem and then you solved the problem, but at great cost, right? Yes. You, you've established our, our hero is willing to do anything in order to rid the land of evil. Um, yeah. Which is uh, pretty cool. I like that a lot. <laughs> but I, I do, I, going on to how our stories are similar, I, I really like, again, as you said, like the way that power of a leader kind of can corrupt and it's like your your leader when he came face to face with the end and there was like he he didn't have the as you said the muscle relaxant and then suddenly he panicked on it uh, i liked how that was it was a decent contrast though completely unintentional how the leader in mine when his time came, he was actually in that paralyzed state until the exact last moment. And he just was, he had no choice but to just accept his fate as the blade 
sheathed itself in him. Which is which is kind of what execution is, right? It, it, mm-hmm. it is like it's all about that like realization that there's nothing you can do, right? Yeah. Um, there's all these, you know, you hear stories about like people surviving all sorts of weird executions, like hangings and stuff. But that was, that was, that's sort of very far, like few and far between. It's very much more likely that you're going to die. And you have to keep realizing that, right? It, over and over again, you have to keep coming to the conclusion that there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think that's inherent in any sort of execution. The other Especially- thing I think. Oh. The other thing I think is really inherent in any execution is a great speech. <laughs> because, you know, you had your guy up there in front of the large army. He's like, all right, here we go. It's time for your execution. You know, I think you know, executions and speeches just go hand in hand. That, that's just my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> but also one other thing is uh, going right along with what you were saying about how you have to come to terms with it. The hardest thing about, like, anybody that's going to do anything self self-sacrificing is the human will to survive. Yeah. And like the people that go into the, uh, into those positions that go to like, go into the dangerous positions to save, to save people. They're putting their lives on the line. They're saying, I, I will give up my life to save someone else. And that is truly heroic. And then you have people that will not do that either because they mentally can't or at that moment, they just, their will to survive overwhelms them. And then they just shut down. Uh, And that right there is the difference between a hero and just another person, I think. Yeah. No, that's well said, I think. Um, definitely. I can't, I can't add anything to that. <laughs> but yeah, no, oh, I, I absolutely loved your story. I, I really loved just the self-reflection that he did during his speech. And it was kind of interesting how you actually had the side characters not like him at all really and he thought that they did like he thought that they were like good people and that they liked him when they were just lying to him basically yeah well i think that um again like when you're in that position uh it's hard to know what's true right you know mm-hmm. like you you'll you'll eventually surround yourself with people that will tell you anything you want to hear um, so yeah, I, and no, I, I wasn't sure which way to go with that because I wasn't sure if I wanted to create some sort of like quote unquote deep state where like, there's like, a, there's an actual group of people that are actually like behind that actually hold the power. And then there's a person that's being executed. Who's the figurehead. Um, but I do like the idea of like, you know, there are, this is just a normal thing now and people just kind of accept it and move on. Um, and you know, there's people that you work with that you like, and there's people you work with that you don't like, and oh, sometimes yeah. they go on to other jobs. So it's just like, um, you know, I, I was trying to portray like another day at the office kind of, uh, mm-hmm. kind of a mentality. I, I really did like the detail you had about how his wife had a, her next husband already chosen that, that I, I really liked the way that detail kind of worked was worked into the story naturally and yeah 
Yeah, I think details like that are exactly how you build a world like this, you know? Uh, and oh, yeah. It's, uh, I was, you know, going through this, I love thinking about all the different implications you could have for something like this, right? Um, and just the way that, like society would, would would change because of it. You would have sponsors for the execution, obviously, right? You'd have people oh, yeah. that want to, want to uh, advertise directly before or directly after or, or wouldn't because uh, of that. Uh, there would be people that would refuse to watch it, obviously, but mm-hmm. it would be it would be uh, one of the things. It'd be like you know not watching the Oscars. It's almost like you have to choose not to. <laughs> yeah, it's like harder to. It's a choice not to do it or something. Um, yeah, I. I think there's a lot that you can you can play with with something like this, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's true for. I mean, I think that's an element of any good story like this. I think is like you're kind of dropped into this world for a snapshot, right? You get to see everything that's happening um, in this moment. And I, I think for yours especially, it's like you can see a it's a pivotal moment in this history of this world, right? Where somebody yeah. really powerful gets corrupted. Uh, but ultimately, you can. It's so easy to imagine the moments before. And the moments after and how you're only seeing a little bit of it in this moment. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's effective world building, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. That, that's one of the things I love about the short stories and flash fictions and stuff is you can actually really develop something in a short time in such a way that it's impactful, that it lasts. And then you don't have to worry too much about major plot holes because you're only doing this one snapshot that said if you're doing it in an already established world then you do have to think about some of those and like i've got a couple different universes that i actually have like full-on storylines in my head on that i've been slowly working little bits here little bits there and trying to make sure that all those line up it can be so difficult because sometimes one detail can be the difference between everything working and nothing working yes for sure <laughs> but that's also really satisfying when you get it right you know you gotta get, get oh, all yeah. those all the diagrams and you know red string out and and uh you know make something uh that makes sense and then uh pull it together so you're saying we need to have a conspiracy theory of our own our, our own creative world. Conspiracy theories, a uh, conspiracy theorists' uh, attitude toward uh, your own fiction. That's right. <laughs> yeah, like uh, an obsessive nature, uh, willing to dig deeper and deeper and make connections where maybe there wasn't before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is the most charitable way I could describe that. <laughs> and have you ever read any alternate history books? I have not really. Oh. Uh, there are some really good alternate history books that uh, that I that I've read before, and one of the reasons why I brought that up is kind of because of your uh, your presidential story. Uh, there's a book by or a couple books by Harry Turtledove, one of which okay. is more of a uh, sci-fi mixture thing called Guns of the South, where what if a group went back in time and gave the South AK 47s? <laughs> and okay, <laughs> really, it was really good. Uh, uh, you know, it sounds interesting. It sounds really interesting. And then they had a second book, which is started a very large series, which I, I forget the name of it, 
But what it was was what if the South won the Civil War? And the way they did it, the way they explained it, is there was at one point during the Civil War where one of the South uh, Southern troops had plans that they had in a tobacco pouch that they had, and they dropped it during their march. And one of the northern uh, northern officers found it. Oh, and really? That ended up causing the North to win that fight, which was a pivotal fight for the Civil War. And so, in this, in, in the Harry Turtle Dove's uh, alternate history book, which was just straight alternate history, one of the uh, people found that. Uh, found it on the ground, picked it up that was from the South, saw the notes and basically reported it. And so the North never found it. So the South was able to save that army and not get it destroyed. And that ended up being pivotal for them to actually stop this. Yeah. When the first civil war and notice I said first, (laughs) because then the book is the second civil war. So after a couple of years where the North and the South have kind of coexisted with the Confederates and the United States, and there were a little bit of diplomacy, and then the second Civil War hits, and then it continues up from the Civil War all the way, he's got a storyline, all the way up to World War II. And World War I had America... Each side took a different side in the, uh, of course, in, in, in the World War. So That's part crazy. of America was part of the Axis. Right, and right. <laughs> it, it was really good. I actually made it up to, I believe it was just before, uh, just before World War II, and then something happened, and I wasn't able to fi- finish it. But there was so much detail, so much like real things that happened or would have happened that because of the way everything was the dynamics with the different people shifted so dramatically that i couldn't pick it back up because i'd lost where it actually was yeah no i've definitely run that problem before that sounds really interesting maybe i'll check that out Um, yeah uh his the author's name is harry turtledove i'm looking at his uh wikipedia right now very cool still alive oh yeah Maybe I should try and reach out to him and see if he'd like to be on the podcast. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's very cool. Okay. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Would you like to say anything uh, to our listeners? Promote sure. anything that you're doing other than your podcast? Um, we have a Twitch stream that we uh, my co-host uh, hosts every Tuesday on Twitch. Go to AffleChat. Mm-hmm. Uh, or t- twitch.tv slash affable chat that's uh at 7 p.m eastern time every tuesday uh we you know talk about city planning and watch youtube videos uh, it's a fun time so you can come check it out um and yeah i've i've uh, i've written a couple i've written one other short story that i've that i've that uh benjamin has read on the podcast so if you want to check out something else i've written uh you can check out the last transmission um hmm. on the affable chat um uh 
uh, sounds sci-fi. Yes. No, I, I couldn't resist putting a little bit of sci-fi even in this one. I mentioned telomeres and life extension. Um, <laughs> just, uh, it's just uh, part of my DNA, you know, pun intended. So, um, well, yeah, if, if you're interested in that, check it out. And uh, uh, we'll see about other things as well. I'm working on a radio play and all other things, but, you know, it all depends on the amount of time it takes. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. Get getting stuff done can take so much time at yes. times. Well, it's it's nice having a partner on this because uh, keep each other accountable. So it's, uh, oh, it's yeah. wonderful. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Davis. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I, you know, I, I, always... I very much appreciate you uh, coming on my show and sharing your story with me. Yes, absolutely. I, I love having an excuse and a deadline to finish a story. It's always way more motivating than just like, oh, maybe I should write this. So Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Crossroads of Inspiration. We've taken you on two very different but very unique paths from the prompt of execution at dusk. Make sure that you uh, like and subscribe. I'm not on YouTube. <laughs> I've been watching too many YouTube videos. <laughs> but make sure you talk about this podcast to other people. Find your own inspiration. If you have a story or if you have any inspiration from any of the prompts from my show or from anything, follow your passion, follow your creativity, and do what you feel would be great for you. Check us out at crossroadsofinspiration.com. You can find us at where you're listening to us at. My hair color is showing so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for joining us and have a wonderful night. Awesome. Awesome.